Well, good morning, Judson family. So good to be worshiping with you this morning, even if it does mean wearing masks and slathering up with a little extra hand sanitizer. It's good to be back with God's people. And of course, welcome those of you that are joining us online. So uh, glad to be here. I'm, I'm glad to be preaching in a series that is forward-looking. Uh, it's actually one of the things that I love about Pastor Jeff is he's this, he's this steady leader, right? He's not just reactive and impulsive, but moves forward with wisdom. And he has this, this uh, trajectory of saying, we're not going to stop as a church. Yes, we're going to be wise. We're going to take into consideration the reality that we're in. But as the church, we are not going to stop. I had a bit of a freak-out moment uh, when this whole quarantine thing uh, started. For those of you that do know me, I, I work with church planters. So I recruit and coach, train, and deploy church planters. And when this quarantine thing first kind of started, it was March, it was spring break. Uh, my family, we were in Destin, Florida. And of course, all the news feed, everything that was happening on the news was uh, scary. The numbers were going up. The beaches started closing around us as we were on vacation. The hotel stopped serving the breakfast buffet. And at the Hampton Inn, that's a pretty big deal, okay? Because I count on that on vacation. And uh, I remember looking over at my wife and I said two things. The first thing I said is, I am so glad that I am not a lead pastor right now. I mean, I just, I couldn't imagine the pressures of that. And the second thing I said is, uh, I may need to get a different job. See, my whole job revolves around helping uh, guys gather a, a crowd of people together to be able to form a church. And I started to think to myself, how is this going to work? And remember, this is coming off of uh, two church plant successful launches. We had one in uh, January, one in uh, February, one in St. Louis, Missouri, one in Kansas City, Missouri. Tons of people, there was excitement, uh, people were coming to Christ, and so there was all of that. And then we had church plants that were looking forward to launching on Easter Sunday. And I'm thinking, how are these young, fragile churches ever going to survive? And, and those that haven't launched yet, I mean, just forget it, right? I mean, these, some of these were guys who were coming to towns. They didn't know people. How were they to gather a launch team, a group of people to launch a church? This, they might as well just quit. And uh, I probably need to see if Home Depot is looking to hire anybody um, because I'm just not going to have a job. How am I going to do this? Well, it took a little bit of time. Uh, but what happened is, is that I found out that these church plants weren't just surviving they were thriving. Even, even one of our church plants uh, in Clarksville, Tennessee, um, over this last couple weeks, had seven people come to Christ. They're only meeting online. I mean, isn't that absolutely awesome? And I'm hearing that the same thing is happening here. Just because our world has been turned upside down, it doesn't mean that the church needs to stop and just wait for things to pass. And so that's what I hope this morning that I will uh, uh, share with you from Matthew 16, just to reinforce and to encourage you as a church family to continue to move forward. So let's do this. Let's bow our heads and pray, and then we're going to dig into God's word together this morning. Heavenly Father, we do praise you and thank you so much just for who you are. 
Thank you so much that you loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross that we might be one with you, that we might be forgiven of our sins. Lord, thank you that you're not a distant God, that you've given us your word. And I pray this morning that as we read from your word, that we would know you more, that it would change and transform us, conform us into the image of you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, if you brought your Bibles with you, I want you to uh, open up to Matthew 16. We're gonna look at verses 13 through 20. And uh, we will make some quick observations and applications as we're together here this morning. So, Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever is bound, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Okay, so our first observation uh, that we're going to make uh, is that sometimes you just need to block out the noise. Sometimes you just need to block out the noise. And if you look at verse 14, and actually verses 13 and 14, Jesus does ask the question. He says, who do people say that I am? And uh, so the, the disciples are answering his questions. But look at he's, uh, what I want you to underline, if you like to underline, is some say. Okay, so they respond and they say, this is what people are saying about you, Jesus. And they give an answer. Well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist, Jeremiah, some other prophet. And uh, uh, Jesus, yes, he was, he was curious, but it was a bit of a, of a setup. And they're just responding to some of the noise. This is what society is saying about who Jesus is. This is what the culture is saying. Now, their answer actually isn't that bad. We kind of laugh at it sometimes, like, oh, idiots, right? They didn't get it. They didn't know who Jesus was. But really, some of the things that people were kind of recognizing of Jesus was in line with Scripture, kind of as they were preparing and expecting a Messiah. So their answers weren't really that bad, but they were not correct. They certainly were not fully correct. And I think that in this day and age and in this time and in the midst of pandemic and political things that are going on and and you know the health things that are going on, it can be so easy to have our source of information just to come from what others say. I mean, I'll admit it, that when this pandemic thing was happening, I was glued to my news app and then uh, watching the stuff on TV, which I shared about already. I mean, I remember sitting in the hotel room 
and going, and I'm just flipping between the channels. Like, okay, what's Fox News saying? What's CNN saying? What's this, you know, uh, what's this group saying? And it's actually kind of funny when you look back on it. I don't know if you remember this or not, uh, but everybody was saying all sorts of different things, even within the same uh, news agencies, right? It was like, hey, you don't need to wear a mask. Masks are not going to do anything. You need to save those for the doctors. It's very important that they have those masks. Or wait, actually, you do need to wear a mask. Just actually, what you need to do is just make sure you wash your hands. This virus is sticky. It will stick to absolutely everything except for takeout food. Go ahead and have as much takeout food as you want. That's just exempt. The coronavirus just, I don't know, falls right off of that. You know, I mean, you're getting all of these conflicting things and there tends to be so much of this noise, whether it's your news app, whether it's stuff on TV, whether it's Facebook or whether it's crazy Uncle Jim who thinks, you know, he's just the expert at world affairs. It can be easy to have your source of information uh, to, uh, to be wrong. And so sometimes we just need to be able to block out the noise because as we're going to read from our passage here, that our source of information needs to be our Father in heaven. And that's what Jesus says to Peter. He says, you know, this has not been revealed to you from flesh and blood, not the noise, the sources out there, but from your Father in heaven. And so during these times, more than ever, and I got to tell you, I am preaching to myself right now, that instead of going to our news app, should probably be going to the Bible app. Or instead of flipping through our Facebook feed, maybe we need to be flipping through scripture. All right, let's look at our second observation and application point uh, here is number two is embrace the true identity of Christ. Embrace the true identity of Christ. Okay, so the question was a bit of a setup, right? What do other people say? That's not what Jesus really wanted to know. He wanted to know from the disciples, but who do you say that I am? And this is where Peter has his moment of clarity. And he responds, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And we all know that Peter has uh, done and said stupid things throughout his life, but this, <laughs> this one he got right. He nailed it right on the head. Yeah, you're not just a prophet. You're, you're, you're the Christ. You are the savior of the world. You are the son of the living God. You are God in the flesh. He nailed it. This is exactly who Jesus is. Now, I think that this is important because he gets it 100% right. Those of you that know my story knew that I kind of grew up going to church, but spent a lot more time, you know, on the ice rink and, and, and playing hockey and trying to be popular and doing all those uh, types of things. And I, but I sat through plenty of church services and I didn't surrender my life to Christ until my freshman year in college. And of all of the Sunday school classes I went to and all of the sermons that I sat through, I never knew that Jesus was God. So anytime I have an opportunity in like a passage like this uh, that um, points to that is to be able to express, and maybe you don't know the true identity of who Jesus is. Jesus was not just a good man. He was not just a smart philosopher 
carrying some truth. He wasn't just a person that had the ability to heal or to help with social issues or to help feed people and you know, do miracles. He was God in the flesh. 100% human and 100% God. I never knew that until I was you know, in, in college. And so maybe some of you don't know that. And it's important because until you understand truly the identity, the true identity of Christ, you can't understand your own true identity. Uh, in, you can't understand your own identity. So we need to understand that Jesus is God and that he came for a very specific purpose. And that was to live a perfect life but to die a brutal death on the cross for the forgiveness of sin so that we might be reconciled, that we might be brought into right relationship with God. Maybe this is uh, brand new for you, just like it was uh, for me when I was, uh, was in college. Well, I'll tell you that um, you know, at the end of this service, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to make the most important decision of your life in confessing the true identity of Christ, that you would have a new identity that you would become a new creation uh, in Christ. So our observation, got to block out the noise. Uh, Number two, that we need to embrace the true identity of Christ. Our third observation is to follow godly leadership. Follow godly leadership. So after Peter uh, makes this uh, amazing statement, this true statement about who Jesus is, that he's the Messiah, that he is the son of the living God. Uh, Jesus says, bless you, Peter. And I'm gonna tell you something, Peter. Um, You are Peter, and upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Uh, If you've spent some time in the church or you study theology, you know that this is actually a controversial verse. Uh, People take this to mean different things, and a lot of it stems around the fact that uh, the Catholic Church uh, uses this verse uh, as their reasoning for having the structure of the Pope, someone who is in charge, a single person over everybody and all the bishops and can even uh, speak in rules and edicts that uh, could even supersede Scripture. Okay, and so, no, I understand some of you may have a Catholic background, especially some of you that maybe you're, you're tuning in uh, and, you know, I'm not trying to stir up a bunch of controversy, but hey, this is one of the great things about being a guest preacher. I can say things like that. I'm out of here. You can just send your questions and uh, hate mail directly to Jeff. He'll answer them for you. Okay, but I, I do want to just lay a little bit of a, uh, some groundwork here because I think that this is actually really important. And it teaches us some things about interpretation and application of Scripture. So with the Catholic Church pointing to this and saying, well, Peter is the first pope, and there's going to be this line of succession, and there will always be one person who's kind of in charge, we're going to use this verse because clearly what Jesus is saying is, Peter, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Now, for those that are not a part of the Catholic tradition... They go, well, wait a minute. We don't have a pope. We don't like this idea of the pope. So let's um, say that that's not the right interpretation, that Jesus wasn't referring to Peter. Um, He's referring to Peter's statement, right? That uh, 
uh, uh, that Jesus is the Christ. So it's the statement, it's, it's not Peter. Um, it's actually kind of a foolish argument because it really is both. But we see really clearly here that Jesus is even using this poetic, the, the, the Greek language to say, you are Peter, which means you know, rock, that's your name. And upon this rock, I'm gonna build, your, uh, build my church, right? You are rocky. <laughs> and upon this rock, I'm gonna, I'm gonna build the church. But the application doesn't mean, okay, there's gonna be a single leader and a pope and you know, a, a, a person that's infallible because we see very clearly in Peter's life, even after this point, he makes many mistakes. He is not a perfect person. There is only one perfect person, And that's the person of Jesus Christ. So instead of just saying, well, let's change the interpretation. All you need to do is to understand that it's just not the right application of the passage. Jesus is saying here that Peter is going to play an important role in the church. And if we read this passage in light of all that we know about Scripture, we see that God does use leaders within the church. That leadership within the church is a very important thing. And uh, one of the passages that I absolutely love is Ephesians uh, chapter 4, 7 through 12, where it says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Okay, That there is a spiritual gift, there is a a spiritual position or office within the church, and it says, but this grace, Jesus decides who and, and how much this is given, so not everyone is exactly the same. And it goes on to say, and you, you, you probably know this one, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. See, see I love this. <laughs> one, of the, one of the reasons I love this, and I've shared this before with the church uh, that I led in, uh, in Milwaukee, is uh, that when I was growing up and, you know, full of pride, full of ego, and, um, you know, would have an attitude with my parents, and I remember multiple times that my mom would look at me and she'd say, who do you think you are? Do you think that you are God's gift to the world? And now I'd like to answer, yes, mom, I do. Now, pride and ego aside, here's what I mean by that. If you look at this verse, and this took me so long to actually understand this, Jesus is saying that he is giving the church a gift, and the gift is the church leadership. And the church's leadership isn't like, oh, they're this gift to you, and so you've got to, I don't know, like bow down at their feet and worship them. You know, nothing like that at all. Their responsibility is very clear here. It's, it's serving sacrificially. They have a job, and that is to equip the saints uh, for ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, for the building up of the church. But the application is really, really clear here. And I think that this is really, really important in the passage that we're looking at, where he says, you are Peter, and upon this rock, I am going to build my church. That God does give leadership to the church as a gift, as a blessing, and that 
as, um, you know, as, as part of the body of Christ, one of the ways that we can apply that and honor that is to follow godly leadership. Now, you remember that uh, I shared early on in the story what I had said to my wife. I'm glad I'm not a lead pastor. I, I literally talked to Pastor Jeff on the phone early on in the quarantine. I said, man, I am glad I don't have your job. I am just glad I don't have a job. It is so hard to be a lead pastor right now. And here's why. No matter what you do and no matter what you say, you have a large group of people who are upset at you. I mean, that was true pre-pandemic, but you want to talk about during the pandemic? It doesn't matter what you do. Oh, man, that's way too conservative. Oh, you can't do that. You're just falling in line with the government. You can't listen to what the... Oh, man, if I was lead pastor, we would be open for services right now. If I was lead pastor, we would never open those doors again until there's a vaccine. If we didn't... You got all of these people shouting at you. It is so difficult to be a leader during this time. Well, here's one of the things that we can learn from the passage is that during this time, maybe we don't always need to be giving our opinions and, you know, uh, thinking that we all have a, a better way, but instead that we would follow godly leadership. And just so you know, Jeff had, didn't look at my notes. He didn't slip me 20 to say like, hey, why don't you tell people to start listening to me? Because maybe that's not the case as much here within this church. And in no way, in no way am I saying, you know what? What churches need to do is whatever the pastor says, Don't even think twice, just blindly follow. Not at all. Scripture is very balanced in saying that you need to discern leadership. You need to discern their teaching. You need to discern their uh, different decisions and actions and that it can be done as a group of leaders. But I'll tell you what, what would it be like for the church, and not only this church, but every church, and for those that are listening online, and maybe they're a part of other churches, that if instead of just sharing our opinions and what we're so angry about and why it's the wrong thing, that instead, what if we just prayed for our leaders and that we trusted them? And we said, you know what? They're spending time in the word. They're seeking God. They're seeking wise counsel. They're listening from others. Maybe even if I don't agree with it completely, what I want to do instead of complaining about it is I want to take some of this to the Lord and, and pray. And I want to pray for my leader and leaders within the church. I think that we will see uh, the church do even more amazing things when we're able to say, okay, God has gifted some different people within uh, the churches uh, to, to serve in that sort of position and that sort of leadership capacity. Uh, so let's do what we can Uh, to uh, follow godly leadership. All right, observation and application point number four, uh, be compelled to advance the church. Be compelled to advance the church. So Jesus says to him, you are Peter upon this rock. I'm gonna build my church. And I love this verse, right? And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Almost every church planter has this verse memorized. And whether you think it's right or not, some of them have it tattooed on their bodies. (laughs) Oh, you just cling to this. Granted, I think that it's misapplied often, okay? Because a church planter or a lead pastor can go, 
That's it. Jesus has promised this church will never, ever close its doors. That's bad biblical uh, application. Why? Because, I mean, you can look throughout time. You can see that there are local churches that rise and live and thrive and then die. There's life cycles in the churches, right? I mean, can you go, you know, get an online sermon from the Church of Laodicea right now? I don't know. I don't know if they're doing online services there. I don't think there actually is a Church of Laodicea right now. But here's the thing. We see that the church moves forward. The local church might at times rise and then, you know, have its life cycle. But we are promised that the church not even just the American church, the global church, we have this promise, Jesus says, it's not gonna die. And you may remember where I was having my freak out moment thinking maybe this is it. Maybe it's all over. Can't do church anymore. Nope. That's not what scripture says. Scripture makes it really, really clear. The church will not die. Now, I do think that there's something very unique that's happening right now during this pandemic and that some of the stories that I shared with you are ones that um, I'm hearing not only in the United States but around the world as well too is that the church is actually strengthening and growing and I believe that there are two things that are kind of uh, happening or or will happen Uh, the first is that there is a pruning of churches okay a pruning and maybe a complete church that is pruned or pruning that just happens within the church. And here's what I mean by that, is that pre-pandemic, for those churches that were unhealthy, the pandemic was kind of the final thing that just maybe um, made it go away, made it die, so to speak. And you may be thinking that I'm just talking about like a small little church in the country somewhere. Nope, that's not what I mean. I mean this for small churches, big churches, Young churches, churches that have been around for 150 years, if they were unhealthy going into the pandemic, I mean, even large churches that had lots of money and maybe they had big buildings, but if they were unhealthy in some of their structure, maybe some of their finances, maybe even the different things that they were teaching or whatever, I believe that the pandemic kind of is like this, you know, pressure cooker, if you will, that some of those unhealthy ones will get pruned. And pruning is something that we see as a biblical principle. And maybe it, it's not, doesn't feel good, might not even look good, might even be painful, but pruning always precedes growth and strength. So there's some churches right now that are being pruned, okay? The second thing that I think the pandemic has done is that it has forced innovation, Let's be honest, I think we've actually gotten a little bit lazy. Lazy as pastors, lazy as Christians, lazy as, 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 as church members. Kind of, we, we got this church thing down, right? You come, you show up, you join the serve team, you give your money, go to a members class. I mean, again, this is kind of my job. We have books and training manuals on it. We've gotten pretty good at church. And because of that, I think we've gotten a little bit complacent. And so this has forced innovation. It's like, you can't meet, or you can only meet in this many groups of people, or here's how you can meet, and at what times, and there's all of this uncertainty. And what it has forced pastors to do is to say, okay, well, we know what scripture says. The church is not gonna die. The gates of hell will not prevail over no matter what is going on. And so evangelism and discipleship, 
is still going to happen. Worship is still going to happen. Studying scripture is still going to happen. Prayer is still going to happen. It just might look a little bit different than the way that we've done it before in the past. And so we see that the church still is going to move forward. And to me, this is the most encouraging thing. Yeah, maybe it looks a little different and we've got masks on and we're doing things that are online and we're changing up the way that we do small groups and changing up even the way that we gather together for prayer. And all of these different things will be encouraged church because the gates of hell will not prevail. Doesn't matter. Pandemic, politics, global economy, none of it matters. All right, here's my final little thing. Just a little thing that uh, is, is kind of curious observation here at the end. Number five is to trust in God's timing and ways. Trust in God's timing and ways. Uh, Why do I say that? Look at verse 20. Then he, Jesus, strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. What? Peter just has this moment of clarity, makes the most important statement. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. What do we expect? Jesus to say, you got it, finally. Now go tell it on the mountain. Shout it. Tell everybody. Not at all. We're, t- we're throwing a complete curveball. I'm sure the disciples were sitting there kind of scratching their heads going, you just said that we finally understood it. Why wouldn't we go and tell everybody right now? But Jesus said, no. Shh. It's not time yet. The, the, the timing is not right. You'll have, you'll have a chance. You will tell people, but not right now. There's still some other things that need to transpire. They weren't able to see and to know all the things that the Christ, the son of the living God, knows. And it's the same for us. And I have to believe in a room this size and people that are listening online, there are some of you who are asking right now, why God? Why is this happening? And God, why is this happening now in my life? I don't know all of your different circumstances. Maybe life was going great and and you were headed great on your work path. Your finances were great or maybe you had relationship plans. You're ready to get married or ready to get engaged or ready to buy a house or get a new job or things with your kids or relationships, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden your world turned upside down. You lost your job. You couldn't visit people. Relationships uh, that you had fell apart. Maybe you finally had beaten this addiction. And now because of quarantine, everything has resurfaced right back up to the top. Maybe you were battling mental illness, finally getting in a nice steady place. And then what happens? You're in quarantine, everything, all of your support system, everything just crumbles around you. And now you're right back to that place and you're going, why God and why now? Well, this is what we can uh, take heart in scripture and to understand that even when things don't make sense, God's timing and his ways are perfect. His good, perfect, and pleasing will. I love Isaiah 58 says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. So you need to hear that just so clearly that even right now, if your world is turned upside down and you're asking God why, asking him why now, just rest in the fact that God knows exactly what he's doing. Exactly what he's doing in your life. Exactly what he's doing in the life of this church. 
exactly, knows exactly what, what's going on in the United States and in the world, everything. We can rest in that. So let's do this. Let's bow our heads and pray. And I want to give you an opportunity uh, uh, for those of you that are here and those that are online, if, if you've never received Jesus Christ as the Savior, the Messiah of, of, uh, of the world, of those who believe, that you would have the opportunity to do that right now as well too. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that you are a God that is full of perfection and justice, and because of that, can't have sin in your presence. And we know when we recognize that we are sinful people. And so because of that, your scripture says that if we have sinned against you small or large, that we are destined for an eternity in hell. It's a horrible and scary thought. But you never wanted that for us. And so that's why you made a way You made a way, Lord. You sent your son, Jesus, to come to this earth to live a perfect life, sinless. That he would bear on the cross the brunt of our sin and our shame. And that he would raise on the third day, prove that he was God. Lord, I pray that those that are listening and those that are here that you'd speak to their hearts. The people would cry out to you and say, yes, God, I believe in you. Yes, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. Come into my heart, come into my life. Make me a new creation in you. Make me new. And God, that your Holy Spirit would enter and seal them until the day of redemption that there would be new life. And God, for the rest of us, in the midst of all this, would we just see your hand of grace and mercy? Would we block out the noise? Would we be spending time with you? Would we be praying for our leaders that we might see the church not just survive during this time, but to thrive? That many people would come to know you. And God, as followers of you, that we would take seriously our relationship with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.